entering the Freedom Hut. How the left seeks to criminalize political speech. Facebook was used to plan the Capitol Hill riot. Amazon shut down Parler because of Trump, not violence. And the militarized inauguration, plus Jake Tapper questions a veteran amputee member of Congress's patriotism. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now... It was never really about stopping violence from the big tech companies and from the left and the Democrats. We know that because they didn't want to shut down violence for months when their side was doing it. We know that political violence was something the left was willing to embrace. It was about justice, they said. That's what they told us. And now when there is an outburst of reprehensible political violence that comes ideologically from the right in this Capitol Hill riot. They try to leverage this for maximum political gain. The best way to get all of this to stop, the best way to bring us together would be, of course, to be fair minded about this, to be honest and not to immediately seek to use this to bash the other side as though they're all domestic terrorists. And that's what they're doing. That is what you see happening right now. The precedent that was set with yesterday's impeachment is awful because it all rested on a false premise. If they had impeached the president of the United States for misleading the American people about what he could prove in the election, if if they were going to say that it was just unpresidential to do that, that's their opinion. And they would be on much firmer ground, although would that rise to a high crime and misdemeanor? No, but instead what they did was say it is a direct incitement to insurrection that President Trump is guilty of. It's his fault. You see, he called for this. And then they use that. To ram through an impeachment that really ignored due process, which is supposed to exist even in Congress, ignored historical precedent and was all about one thing and one thing only, creating a one-party state in America, the destruction of the Republican Party. It's always very amusing when Democrats say that they want to see Republicans speak truth to their own side and reform when they really just want the collapse. And they understand that if the Republican elites and elected officials cave in to the Democrat mob on this one and cast out Trump entirely, try to erase his legacy and humiliate not just him, but also his supporters. It will be a disaster for the Republican Party. This was all based on a lie. How do we know it's a lie that Trump incited an insurrection? It's obviously true there was a riot. It's obviously true it was criminal and wrong what happened in the Capitol building. We've already said that. I'm not going to just keep repeating it endlessly so that the left wing, uh, you know, destructors of conservative media can't just get away with whatever they want. Right. That's we're, tr- we're trying to prevent them from because right now they're on a witch hunt. They want to ruin people on, on our side. But I have condemned it. I condemned it right away. And it was uh, you know that. OK, but they're claiming that Trump was the reason for this. Now, part of the problem they have is what Trump actually said. Let's be very clear. Play clip 
three. And only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections, but whether or not they stand strong for our country. Peacefully and patriotically have your voices heard. If that can be considered an incitement to violence, to mob violence, for which you will be held legally responsible, which is what the Democrats are doing here. That's what they're saying. They will use a process of government to go after you. And they're even talking about possible criminal charges against Trump for this. If go peacefully speak your mind is now a criminal act, political speech in this country is over on the conservative side. We're done. Because they'll just say anything that they don't like. Anytime there's a rhetorical flourish, we say we must stand up and fight for our liberties. Oh, that's a call to violence. He said fight. Oh, you, you think that's extreme? You think they won't do it? We saw this coming. You should remember that for years, the left was running a propaganda campaign. It started on the college campuses. Then it filtered into the rest of the most woke outposts in society. And now it's mainstream now it's corporate culture now it's all over the all over the place speech equals violence that was the big change you saw the beginning of the trump administration from the left they were just openly saying that your words that i don't like are are the equivalent of violence because it makes me feel sad or unsafe or less than or whatever therefore not only if speech equals violence can the government shut it down. And as we know, the only speech that equals violence is conservative, according to the left. That's that's the way this game works. Not only does that happen, but if they use force to shut you down, they're justified in doing so. This is how Antifa came about. Remember the origins. They were showing up at college campuses, threatening conservative speakers, threatening people that showed up to hear conservative speakers. And many of us said this is this is a terrible harbinger of things to come and now we see this is all the way at the top of the democrat party say things that they don't like and they will find a way to use the the force of government even to shut you down this is the death of free speech if this continues and that's exactly the plan democrats think they have all the answers and there's no need for robust debate or exchange of ideas because their ideas are right and your ideas are violence This is what they really think. This is their actual belief. And they are using this. They're taking action on this idea. And now with with greater information about what really happened on Capitol Hills, we see more of the backstory, both in, in preparation for it and the social media giants actions around it. A lot of a lot of stuff that does not support the overall Democrat narrative here. What they impeached the president for yesterday was essentially Trump called for an insurrection in the Capitol. That is a lie. That's not true. He didn't do that. And there are many reasons you could point to. I played the actual pertinent audio of what he said should happen peacefully. If someone says I call for nonviolence and then one of that person's uh, adherents says, oh, they said nonviolence, but I'm going to be violent. Is it that person's fault? Well, only if you're a Republican. 
only if you're a conservative. This was planned for weeks in advance. That's now clear. There were people who were gathering together online, and this was what they wanted to do. So if that's the case, and it is, how can Donald Trump be guilty of incitement when there were preparations being made by people entirely independent of Trump and that, 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 that predated the speech in which he called for nonviolence anyway? Right. This is not to excuse all the stuff said about the election at all. I've got a problem with that. I think we were. It was it was exaggerated to us, the information uh, that they were going to be able to present. It was exaggerated, the likelihood. Now, I always thought it was a very small likelihood, as you know, but it was exaggerated on purpose to Trump voters that there was still a real hope here that the election was going to go his way. And that's that's actual there should be some political accountability for that. That was wrong. But this incitement to violence stuff and attacking the Capitol because of Trump, that's just not fair. It's not true. But it's not enough. It's not enough. You see, it's not enough to point out what was said about the election afterwards. That's in retrospect, uh, that was inaccurate or it was just an, an out and out lie. Uh, because Democrats lied about the 2016 election for four years. So we'll be able to dismiss that very, very quickly. A lot of people just say, well, you know, Nancy Pelosi claimed the election was hijacked in the beginning of 2017. So what what's that all about? Ah, no, they have to make it seem as though Trump is the leader of a domestic terrorist organization. That's what they're openly stating now. And that's because it gives them license not only to completely malign all of his supporters, which they just get joy from. I mean, they like hating Trump supporters is something that gives great joy to the left, uh, to you know, der- deriding them, uh, humiliating them. Th- this, unfortunately for America, the Democrat Party really, really has a culture of looking down on all Trump supporters. Um, that's just the way it is. Voters, I mean, anybody, anybody, vote, you vote for Trump, you're a bad person. They've, they've, Adopted it. I don't think everybody who votes for Biden's a bad person. That's crazy. I think Joe Biden's a clown, and I think we're going to see just what a joke this whole presidency is when he's actually in charge. But then Kamala will take over, and we all know. Uh, but here's the other issue they've got. The social media companies all acted against Trump because they said he was the cause of this insurrection. Well, first of all, it was a riot. To call it an insurrection is also is also going beyond a fair a fair view of the facts here. It, w- it was absolutely right, and it was criminal, and it was wrong, and we've said that. But they really thought, what, they were going to overtake the Capitol building and hold it? I mean, that's what a coup would be. They, they, that was the plan? I mean, I, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that. I've certainly seen there were people that were running around taking selfies, and there were people that were attacking police officers, which is... Uh, something that you can't do. It's a crime. You can't do that. But the social media companies shut Trump down because they said that he was a threat of violence. The Democrats then used this this premise that Trump was himself a threat of violence to deplatform him. Well, Trump is still in office and the same platforms where most of the planning for the riot occurred are very much still in business because guess what? This won't be a surprise to you. It wasn't Parler 
where most of the actual riot planning occurred, according to left wing analysts of this now in the media. Oh, it was happening somewhere else on the Internet. A very wealthy, very, very powerful company, in fact. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. As I have said, the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. There's President Trump saying that he condemns all of the illegal activity, the riot at the Capitol, all of it, and that it goes outside of or goes against and is outside of his movement entirely. Uh, Maybe the people that were saying that I was a a traitor to Trump because I said right away the Capitol Hill riot was a disaster and not what MAGA was about. I I don't know. I haven't gotten any apologies from them yet. Not that I matter. It doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, you know, we, we all have to be clear eyed about this we have to know what is true and people out there who who are telling you the day of oh this is this is not something that's terrible they were pandering and they were lying and they have bad judgment i mean talking about people in the media because there were some of them there were some a handful and then i think even they backed off but that's the president saying that this is not something that he would ever condone he does not want political violence it's against what he stands for He gave an excellent speech, had to release it on the White House official uh, White House official Twitter page instead of the real Donald Trump one, because it no longer exists. Now, why is that? Donald Trump was kicked off of Twitter. What's the reasoning given by Jack Dorsey, the CEO, why they do this? Because they said that he was a risk of violence. But the Iranian revolutionary regime is still able to have public pronouncements. There's all kinds of awful people on Twitter that call for violence and genocide and terrible things. They don't lose their accounts. So we know the standard is applied entirely unevenly. The standard is used to silence conservatives and to silence Trump, most of all. But there's something else. You know, they shut down Parler and we had Dan Bongino on to talk about that. They shut down Parler because they claimed that that's where the Capitol Hill riot was being planned and there was all this ugly stuff on there. Well, that's a lie insofar as there's no more on Parler than there is on Facebook. In fact, most of the violence and awful stuff that was being shared online about the Capitol Hill riot was wait for it on Facebook. They've been analyzing this, looking at it. Facebook was because it has a much larger user base. I said this as as soon as this happened, I said uh, there's crazy stuff on Facebook all the time. Ah, but Amazon Web Services, Amazon crushed Parler. And did you know that Parler was actually working with 
Amazon and, and, and trying to take action to improve its moderation. They're saying, yes, we want to get rid of bad content. We want to get rid of violent and you know, evil racist stuff on Parler. The same way that there's that terrible stuff on all the social media platforms. But Parler doesn't have quite the resources. So they were getting behind, but they were working to be better on it. They, they have terms of service and they have the, a, a rule of law standard. But they crushed Parler. They didn't crush Twitter. They didn't shut down Facebook, obviously. Now, let's let's look at this for a second here. What is... What is the new standard that has been set up? It is now established that Facebook was the place that allowed the Capitol Hill riot to be planned more so than any other. Well, given what we've been told in recent days, that means that Amazon and Google and and you name it need to ambush, take down and destroy Facebook. It's a it's a question of life and death. It's a question of our democracy and preventing political violence. Awful things were planned on Facebook. So I guess those really moral and ethical major tech companies are all going to unite to take down and destroy Facebook. That, that could happen. Amazon and Google could do a tremendous amount of damage to Facebook if they wanted to. But they won't. Oh, you mean the standard isn't really a standard. It's an excuse. They wanted to shut down Parler. They wanted to destroy it. Why is that? Well, in Parler's lawsuit, they show that that one of the questions that Amazon was asking them when they were trying to prevent, you know, trying to stop uh, them from shutting them down was, is Donald Trump moving to Parler? That's what they really wanted to know. Well, here's the problem with that. If you have a bunch of companies that work together to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't move to Parler, which would then make Parler go up in growth by exp exponential numbers in just a matter of days, that looks like good old-fashioned anti-competitive collusion, doesn't it? There are laws about things like this. Anti-competitive practices aren't allowed. You're not allowed to price fix, and you're not allowed to person fix either when it comes to social media platforms this lawsuit could get a whole lot more interesting thanks for listening to the buck sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts now what you hear is well you can't say that everybody who voted for trump is like the people who went into the capitol response you can't say that. What? Everybody's like everybody who voted for Trump is I, like them. No, I just explained to you. If you if if you are on that side, you need to think about the side you're on. I'm never on the side of the Klan. I am never principal people, conservative or liberal, never on the Klan side. Principal people, conservative or liberal, never on the Nazi side. Principal people who are conservative or liberal, never on the side that treats their their fellow Americans as less than that says that your fellow Americans should not exist. That says your that says your fellow Americans should be in a concentration camp or that sides with slavery or sides with any sort of bigotry. Right. And if they say, I don't agree with those people, I just like Trump's policy. Well, then get out of the crowd with him.
get out of the crowd. I wasn't in the crowd. I just voted for Trump. You're in the crowd who voted for Trump. If you voted for Trump, you voted for the person who the Klan supported. You voted for the person who Nazis support. You voted for the person who the alt-right supports. That's the crowd that you are in. You need to hear this. Because I know a lot of you will dismiss that's Don Lemon at CNN. He is very dumb, as are many anchors at CNN. He is very dumb. Who cares what he says? He is vocalizing. The reason he's doing this is because it appeals to his audience. And he is vocalizing, meaning the CNN, CNN viewership, what they feel back to them because that drives ratings. His audience thinks exactly what he's saying. You, you should know that. They believe that if you voted for Trump, you are guilty in the way that he's suggesting. You, you are guilty of being the supporter of a white supremacist. You're guilty of being a supporter of a, I mean, I, I, they'll even say Nazi. Now, I, I know that for a lot of you, that was also a particularly painful recitation of, of allegations from Don Lemon because those things he's talking about, putting people in camps, uh, slavery, uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan, those are all things for which we have the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party must be held responsible. The Democrats were the pro-slavery party. The Democrats were the Jim Crow party. The Democrats were the segregation party. The Democrats were the internment of Japanese Americans party. That's just fact. That's just true. But notice that now they put it all on Republicans. Do you think that they care one bit that Donald Trump managed to get more of the black and Latino vote than any previous GOP candidate in in 20 years for the presidency? Does that matter? No, that doesn't matter. Do, do they take any indicator of that, that there are a lot of people who are black and Latino who see Donald Trump and understand that no, this guy's actually not a racist? He's imperfect. He's rough around the edges. Not a racist, though, but. They need to have Donald Trump viewed as somebody who you're not allowed to support. It's not even that you have bad judgment for doing it. If you do it, you are transgressing and should be punished. I've been telling you this all week. It's about humiliating Trump voters. It's about forcing you into a society where you're basically in a constant re-education camp online, in the office for your job, online at the grocery store. If you voted for Trump, you're a bad person and you have you have something to atone for. That's what they want you to feel. That's what they want you to think. And it's just wrong. It's just wrong on, on so many levels, right? I mean, so there are many people that vote for Trump and feel like he's very flawed and has made some some uh, some bad, some plenty of bad decisions. But overall, they first of all, like the Republican Party, more the Democrat Party. I mean, we, we could sit here. We really going to talk about this. I mean, Democrats are, are the party of of the celebration of abortion, for example, which is which is just morally heinous. I mean, they can sit around and try to come up with all kinds of rationalizations and justifications and slogans and my body, my choice and all this stuff. Not, not on vaccines, by the way. My body, my choice doesn't apply to that for Democrats. Um, but at the end of the day, we realize what abortion is and the Democrat Party has embraced this. And, and I, I do believe that it's a a moral rot at the center of their conscience that affects everything else that they they do and see and, and their their view of the world around them.
starts with they have convinced themselves that convenience is more important than human life. That's that's a, a very corrosive moral proposition. But if we're really going to do this, we're going to hold people accountable. You sort of look at what Democrats have done and what they really believe. Um, I mean, the, the expansion of the term white supremacy uh, that's that's been underway now for years. I've been warning about this. I told you uh, this is now just a this is a, a more weaponized version of the old everything is racist routine that Democrats used to do. Anything that they didn't like, oh, that's racist. That's racist. All through the 90s and the early 2000s, that's what they would say. You know, you, you would oppose Democrats. Ah, it's because you're a white guy, you're racist. Wait, what? I, I just want less government interference in my life and lower taxes. That makes me, that makes me racist. Ah, oh, that's racist. Now it's your white supremacist because that lost, that, that accusation of baseless racism lost its sting. It lost its impact over time. So what they what they have now is your white supremacists. That's what they say. And if you, if you think that's any kind of exaggeration, this was yesterday during the an, another a second sham impeachment process against the president. And here's Representative Cory, uh, Cory Bush referring to. Well, you'll hear what he says about Trump. Play two. St. Louis and I rise in support of the article of impeachment against Donald J. Trump. If we fail to remove a white supremacist president who incited a white supremacist insurrection, it's communities like Missouri's first district that suffer the most. The 117th Congress must understand that we have a mandate to legislate in defense of black lives. The first step in that process is to root out white supremacy, starting with impeaching the white supremacist in chief. This is what she said starting with the white supremacist in chief. Uh, Donald Trump's a New York guy, grew up in Queens and Manhattan. Uh, nobody thought he was racist until he ran for president. And now he's a white supremacist. OK, that's that's because they're really taking a, a fair view of any of this. CNN, CNN's Andy McCabe. Oh, you mean if you were part of the resistance and you abused your power? I mean, Andy McCabe seemed really seems like a sociopath. And this is a guy who's a Democrat activist who was the acting FBI director and would do anything to protect the Democrat establishment, the deep state and the swamp and, and was sanctimonious about it, too. And really believes the MSNBC talking points. He's now a a purveyor of CNN talking points, which is the same thing. Oh, it's all about it's all about coded language uh the, the coded language allegation here this is one you've been hearing for quite some time play eight president trump is a master at coded language and the use of dog whistles and there is no question that that statement included some of those same references simply by leaving out the comments that you've mentioned he sends a signal to his folks to fight on uh he he has never come out and formally undercut the central theory of this of this uh domestic terrorist rebellion which is that the lie that the that the election was stolen from them and his failure to do it last night is uh, absolutely unforgivable. I dismiss that statement as a as a self-serving attempt at damage control. Uh, so Andy McCabe is is a despicable person. Um, we know that. And this is a guy that a lot of that yells at subordinates for leaks that that he himself gave to newspapers when he's at the FBI. I mean, what what a what a scummy thing to do. And this is a guy who was part of the at the very top of the Russia collusion smear against the president 
which was more than just a mean thing to say in the press. They they mobilized the criminal the, the criminal investigatory and prosecutorial arms of the federal government to go after a president because he says mean things about the New York Times and CNN. That's what Andy McCabe was at the top of that effort. No accountability really for him. I know he was fired, but the guy should have been uh, should have been fired and and investigated for criminal abuse of power. And, you know, I'm not a big lock him up guy. I'm not over oh, this person should go to prison, uh, you know, because I think we have to be very careful with that. But Andy McCabe, what he did was real abuse, real misuse of position. Um, but coded language, you see, even when Trump says don't be violent, it doesn't matter because when Trump says don't be violent and be peaceful, what he's really saying, according to the left and the libs is, yeah, be terrorists, mount an insurrection. So it doesn't matter what he says. They're, they're going to stay with this. Oh, and you're not allowed to believe that the election had any problems whatsoever or else you're also if you think that there was still fraud in this election, you, Andy McCabe, wants people to know are are encouraging an insurrection and domestic terrorists agree with us on politics or you're a terrorist. That's the Democrat position right now that's being uh, that's being uh, given voice all across the media and it's being it's being echoed all throughout the Democratic Party. And it's disgusting. Oh, but they want they want unity. Yeah, sure they do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Pushing this idea that the attack on the Capitol last week bore any resemblance to the Black Lives Matters protests over the summer, it's not just dumb, it's disgusting. Stop comparing protesters marching to protect their rights with anarchists storming an election to strip us of ours. Stop it. You sound stupid. Okay, so who who are the people that were smashing and looting stores and throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails at cops? Because Jimmy Kimmel, late night comedian, seems so sure that it's a disgusting thing to talk about BLM peaceful marchers. So I just want to know who, who destroyed uh, hundreds and hundreds of businesses across the country, looted them, burned some to the ground. Who burned that police station to the ground in Minnesota? Who threw a Molotov cocktail into a cop car here in New York City? Who shot two uh, L.A. County sheriff's deputies, almost killed them both, shot them in the neck? Who did all that? Well, it wasn't Trump supporters. All right. Who are the people that caused millions and millions of dollars of damage to public and private property because they were unhappy about policing? I, I just want to know. It wasn't Trump voters. But you see, if you point out that there was something nasty about any of that, if, if you point out that there were people spitting in cops faces, calling uh, black police officers, this is on video, horrible racial slurs under undermining them as as human beings doing everything they can if you point any of that out you're the problem jimmy and look jimmy kimmel is a moron but he's a very rich comedian because the guy's played in the system and done what he's had to do to get ahead but if you take your political advice from this guy you're just not very smart because he's not very smart rich yes a a, a, has a, a a big audience unfortunately is known as a good person no it's actually considered a really vicious sob inside the industry so how do you know that because i know people who know people who work in the entertainment industry i am far far away from all that stuff 
Uh, but he's not the only one who's got the the rhetoric dialed up to the absolute maximum here. Uh, you have uh, somebody who is is at least smarter than Jimmy Kimmel, Bro Cuomo, over at CNN talking about how that you know, this is it looks like uh, war zone stuff going on right now. Play sixteen. The Secret Service is now too concerned about violence that President-elect Biden will no longer be able to travel on Amtrak from his home in Wilmington, Delaware, because of the in the wake of what happened and all the chatter about potential threats. Security is being heightened at capitals all across America, all 50 state capitals under threat of armed protests in the run up to inauguration. No external terrorists ever did this to us. We've never worried like this, even after 9-11. I didn't read about it in a book. I lived it. I was there that morning. I was there for days, weeks. I lost people. I covered it. I went to train and then I covered wars abroad. I've seen ugly things that this country now resembles, but I've never seen this country more in doubt about safety at home than right now. And the enemy is us. Now, I just want to be clear they they are talking about what happened at Capitol Hill. The enemy is us. He means Trump supporters, by the way. He doesn't mean just the general American people. He means Trump supporters. They're talking about Capitol Hill the way that they uh, would speak about it if men, you know, if men and women, you know, armed went into the building to take it over and were firing at police officers. Now, there are people that stormed the building. No question. It's horrible. There are people that were pushing through and, atta- and, and punching cops, but they didn't actually go in there armed with with rifles as part of a coup to take over the building and and hold it as that would be an insurrection. And they're speaking about this like that is what happened. It is a riot. Let's let's remember it, it was people planning what they what they thought was a a violent political spectacle, but within the limitations of not actually going force on force against, say, the National Guard with guns blazing and and all. That's what you see in countries where there's actually a, a coup. I mean, the, the people that stormed the Capitol building didn't think that if the National Guard, or the FBI were called in, that they were going to be able to fight them off. Now, I know these distinctions, this honesty about what actually happened is is very this is very tense right now. You're not allowed to say these things. But insurrection would be the overthrow of the United States government. The people that ran into that building, were, were they really going to overthrow the some of them might be deeply mentally ill? And, th- and think that they could accomplish that. And I'm sure we'll hear about them and their text messages about how they're going to, you know, they're going to be in- in putting a new dictator in charge or something or that the Trump will be president for 50 years or whatever. But overall, you had people who made a very bad decision. And, and as we see, it has unfortunately played right into uh, Democrat hands about authoritarianism and the crackdown on Trump voters and all of this. Uh, and in that sense, it, it is a disaster. Maxine Waters. Speaking of overheated rhetoric, Maxine Waters has said the following about Trump. Play 12. It is reported that the president of the United States watched the invasion from the Oval Office of our Capitol and seemingly enjoyed it. I want you to know we should be concerned that the Republicans will not defend him and he is capable of starting a civil war. He must be impeached. He must be stopped now. The president is not going to start a civil war. This this kind of talk is not helping. 
This is not this is not making everybody feel better about the future of the country. This is not uh, making everything calm down and, and move to the peaceful transition here. When you're talking about 80 to 90 percent of Republicans all completely condemning what happened at Capitol Hill, the riot, and that's what the numbers are. So those of you listening, it's 80 to 90 percent of Republicans are saying what happened there was was just uh, was awful. Uh, There is very, very clear condemnation of this. Now, they still I understand the left will still play this game of, oh, BLM. There were no riots. I mean, it it is the the biggest gaslighting I I think we've ever seen in this country, at least in my lifetime. There, There were no BLM riots. Who was doing all the rioting? Who was marching around in the streets at night? Breaking windows, stealing from you know Louis Vuitton stores and sneaker stores and throwing rocks at cops and lighting things on fire. Who's doing all of that? Not 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 BLM peaceful protesters, they say. Well, who was in charge of all of that? But no, instead, we have talk now of, of civil war and the Democrats think about what they were able to do with the Russia collusion lie. Now they're going to be taking act, taking action on the Trump insurrection lie. That's their plan. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our friend Sean Parnell is back with us now. He is a former Army Ranger and best-selling author and was a candidate for Pennsylvania's 17th District for Congress in this most recent election. He's also a commentator. You'll see him on TV and obviously listen to him here on radio. Uh, Sean, great to have you. Good to be back, Buck. Thank you for having me at what is a very interesting time in our country, to say the least. How, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're going to a Biden inauguration here just days away. You're seeing all these photos of uh, that the media are sharing all over the place of National Guardsmen, not just being in D.C., but but sleeping on the floor of the Capitol. I mean, as though they're preparing for a, a foreign invasion. I mean, that's that's the 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 visual that you're supposed to take from this. Uh, how are how are you seeing the political scene right now? I mean, what, what are your what are your just your broad thoughts about where where we as conservatives are at this moment? Well, I, I first of all, I think it's it's America is is on the brink, as, as you probably already know, Democrats haven't they don't even have all three branches of government yet, but they've already proposed uh, a resolution in the House for a constitutional amendment to abolish the Electoral College, right? So I think what what this country can conservatives uh, specifically can expect over the next two years are, are some of the most radical pieces of legislation that would fundamentally transform America as we know it. Um, and, you know, you've got this impeachment going on in the House and, and strategically, Buck, you know, look, I... I I don't think that the president incited a riot. I don't think that what he did rises to an impeachable offense. And if you read the transcript, indeed, you'll see that for yourself. said peacefully, you know, go peacefully, make your voices heard. Uh, That doesn't mean that that the riot at the Capitol was acceptable. It wasn't. Uh, But at least have the, the moral courage to say that Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioting all year in 2020, that wasn't acceptable either. You know, violence for political... To, to, to establish some sort of political end is, is never acceptable. Uh, but what the president did, I don't believe, rise to an impeachable offense, but the Democrats' expected response was to impeach the president for a second time, simultaneously preaching unity. And here, here's the problem with that, 
with that, Buck. I, I think that this impeachment move from a tactical and strategic standpoint on the Democrat side, I'm speaking just politically, I think that they know in their heart of hearts that what the president did did not rise uh, to incitement of violence or incitement of some sort of riot. But I think that what they're trying to do is separate traditional GOP from the Trump base, if that makes sense, going into 2022. Because if you're a candidate, whether you're running for the House or the Senate, uh, right now, conservatives have got to walk a very fine line uh, to bring both of those groups out, right? Traditional members of the GOP and uh, the, the Trump base, especially in states like Pennsylvania. So this impeachment, what's going on right now, uh, is really, I think, you know, from a strategic standpoint, to divide the party and separate traditional GOP from the Trump base. And, and right now, uh, it's working. And, and the GOP should recognize that and not allow them to do it. It doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean that we should accept what happened as the capital as the norm. We shouldn't. It's not acceptable. As I mentioned, violence uh, to establish some sort of political end is, is never acceptable. Uh, but, you know, I, conservatives, it, it's, it's disheartening to me sometimes, Buck, to see conservatives not circle their wagons and fight. The Democrats always fight. They unify and they fight and they do it quite effectively. Republicans don't. Uh, and, and, and quite honestly, um, it, it's a leadership issue that I hope moving forward is resolved because uh, we don't win elections unless we as a party is united. We as a party are united. And, and that's where I think the leadership needs to focus now. What do you make of the the big tech censorship effort that's still that's still ongoing now, especially given that we found out that a lot of the Capitol Hill riot by and this is according to left wing analysis was actually planned on Facebook, right. not on Parler. But Parler gets shut down. That mm -hmm. that seems like, yes, they don't like it because it's a place where conservatives can speak without the left's, not even thumb, but elbow on the scale for the other side. But also, it seems like they really wanted to prevent a, a mass migration from Twitter users to Parler users to create a new conservative digital ecosystem. No, you're, you're exactly right. I, look, big tech censorship is a problem, uh, but perhaps more concerning than that is the collusion between big tech, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, Amazon. You know, the line of thinking is, well, you know, a lot of people will tell you, well, they're a private company. If you can't follow their terms of service, well, you don't belong on the platform or you deserve to get booted. But the problem is that their terms of service constantly change, right? You never really know what they are. And they always end up censoring one group. And so the line of thinking is, well, start your own social media platform. And so with Parler, they did that. And then it was uh, Apple saying, well, we're going to remove you from the App Store. We'll start your own start your own website. You can start your own website. And then Amazon removed them from the server, right? So it, what's the next step, meaningful step after that? Start your own internet company. I, I don't know. Um, the point is, I do recognize the sensitivity of a private company being able to call the shots. And I don't like the government forcing them to do business a certain way. But in this instance, I think that there is a monopoly. There was a level of collusion going on to crush opposition. And, and in, in this case, what it was is parlor. And, and, and I think separately, but also related, shutting down the president of the United States. Now, his official Twitter account is still active. And I think critics would say, well, they left his official Twitter account active. But they removed tweets from that as well, right? Is this not a national security issue? If the, if 
for some reason, there was a national security issue that required the president's attention. And, and, and the president needed to reach as many people in the country as he could at, at a specific time. If, if a tech company like Twitter or Facebook can simply flip a switch and prevent him from doing that, does that not have national security implications? Especially when, yeah, while Twitter and Facebook, they are certainly based here in America, they're, they're a global company, you know? And so how much investment in Twitter and in Facebook and in Amazon, or how much of the marketplace is in communist China? Right. That, that's a big deal. And if the communist Chinese can leverage any sort of financial power over the, some of these big tech companies, which, by the way, yeah, communist China can do that. And these tech, tech companies can then flip a switch and prevent the president of the United States from from leading this country in a crisis. Is that not a national security issue? And does that not demand some form of legislation to prevent that from happening? What you're seeing, you know, people, people, countries like Germany have come out and condemned what uh, big tech has done to the president. France has come out and condemned what big tech is, is in terms of censoring the president. And Poland is really putting forth meaningful legislation to ensure that something like that can't happen in their country. So I, I don't think it's as simple of saying repeal Section 230, because I think that that would destroy independent media, period. Right. Uh, but there certainly needs to be reforms made to make sure that companies like this can't ban key leaders. Speaking of Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger, best-selling author, and uh, he just ran in this election for Pennsylvania 17th for Congress in a in a nail biter. And and to that end, Sean, we've we've had you on to talk about your your concerns about election integrity, specifically in the state of Pennsylvania. Is it effectively now very hard to almost impossible, let's say, to to speak about publicly those things? on digital platforms without fear of, you know, to, to speak about you, real look, they changed rules in Pennsylvania. We, we've talked about uh, talked about this many times. They they moved around how you know, the how early and how late people could vote and, and when the votes would be counted and how, what you had to do with the, the mail in ballot procedures, all kinds of shifts that were made. Uh, do you ever get uh, get dinged or do you ever have a, of a concern that you might be shut down and deplatformed? Just for talking about that stuff? Yes. And yeah, and I won't go into specifics, but it's already happening. Like you like you, Buck, and many other conservatives on Twitter. I've lost close to forty thousand followers in a week. Um and 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 more followers on Facebook and, and Instagram and things like that. And I think this this brings me to the second point of of this impeachment. Uh the democratic strategy behind the impeachment is to sort of put forth like like the the idea that if you talk about election integrity or issues that pertain to 2020, then therefore you're inciting violence, right? That's a real problem. And I think the Democrats right now, and again, the second, second tier of their strategy with this impeachment is to make uh, the, any discussion of election integrity what is, in, in a public forum on social media, a thought crime, when there are really, there really are valid questions to be had here, right? And so your question of what's the way forward in, in Pennsylvania? Well, yes, it is difficult to talk about in public. Were there issues? Were there issues as they pertain to to this election? Yes. Um, are those issues resolved right now? What less than a week prior to inauguration? No, they they haven't been involved. They haven't been resolved. In fact, there's still a voter deficit in Pennsylvania that's yet to be resolved. And what that essentially means more votes than voters. I've been criticized for that. Um, 
uh, online saying that it's been debunked. It's not been debunked. The only thing that the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania has said is that it, that it that the information that I'm presenting is based on incomplete data. And I turn around and I say to the Secretary of State, well, then, if the data is incomplete, how then do you certify the race in the state of Pennsylvania on November 24th when there's still technically in the state of Pennsylvania more votes than voters? Now, she'll probably say, well, as time goes on, that gap will close. Well, in Montgomery County, for example, Buck, there's still a voter deficit, right? There's still a voter deficit of, of over 6,000 votes. In other words, more votes than voters. And they've been done, right, for about four weeks now. It doesn't mean they're not working to resolve that. It doesn't mean that that gap won't close. But they've been officially done counting for, for about a month. So, so moving forward, right, discussing this stuff moving forward for me is not about overturning 2020. Right. It's not about that. But if, if we don't discuss this stuff now, well, then how can we guarantee, you know, municipal elections in 2021 where mail in ballots are being sent out for in what, a few months just for, for a municipal election? And then in 2022, there's a gubernatorial election. There'll be a gubernatorial election and a Senate race here in the state of Pennsylvania. We've got to have these wrinkles ironed out prior to that time or the situation will get worse. The state law in, in Pennsylvania, PA statute, I think 3154, says that the books at the precinct, county, and state, le uh, uh, state level must be reconciled prior to certification. And right now, they're not. And so uh, that's a problem. We've got we to be able to talk about it uh, in, in discussions just like this to make sure that it doesn't happen moving forward. Um, you know, I posted on Facebook today, Buck, about, look, you know, we're going to see some very radical pieces of legislation moving forward. They've already, like I said, they've already got a resolution to propose a constitutional amendment to abolish the electoral college. I think conservatives can reasonably expect, you know, Washington at Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. I think there's an argument to be made. Uh, the left is, is going to try to pack the Supreme Court. All things that you've addressed on your show before. Look, these things are coming, and when the Democrats wield power and control all three branches of government, they are never afraid to wield it. But that does not mean that we should stop fighting. In fact, what I've called for, you know, my supporters and, and volunteers all across the state of Pennsylvania, they need to lean into the fight, Buck, right now. They need to be door knocking, organizing, fundraising, uh, helping municipal, municipal candidates and local candidates win at the local level. We win locally, we'll win congressionally, we'll win statewide, right? All of that is important. We don't have the luxury of off seasons now. There's going to be a redistricting coming in the state of Pennsylvania. You know, people and constituents across across the state of Pennsylvania should be calling their state legislators and, and, and working with them and telling them uh, what their feelings are about redistricting, right? Because it's a Republican-controlled legislature. We control the power there. We need to wield it like the Democrats would wield it, right? So there are lots of very productive things that we can be doing right now. And yes, our backs are against are against the wall, but it doesn't mean we're out of the fight. I got to ask you, Sean, before we let you go, you are a, a decorated uh, Army Ranger, served in, in combat in Afghanistan. Uh, CNN's most sanctimonious anchor, Jake Tapper, referring to Brian Mast, who's a member of Congress, <laughs> who served in the military and lost his legs fighting for this country abroad. Yeah. Jake Tapper's comment was, quote, Congressman Brian Mast, who lost his legs, by the way, fighting for democracy abroad, although I don't know about his commitment to it here in the United States. What do you say to that? Yeah. Well, Brian Mast is, is a friend of mine, and, and quite I, I am so disappointed in Jake, right? It's, Jake is someone to just, just in the event that your listeners don't know, 
Um, Jake is someone that 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 writes books about military veterans, that talks about military veterans a lot publicly, and 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 acts as if he's a big supporter of military. He makes money right on the backs of of military members' service. So, uh, but then to turn around and say something like that uh, about a Republican member of of Congress, who you know you can disagree with the method, but there's there's still a constitutional process and structure to raise those questions on the House floor. Brian Mass fought for his country. He lost his legs uh, overseas defending democracy. And believe me when I tell you, the man loves uh, freedom of speech, loves the Constitution, may not always agree with what others have to say about him, but he'll, he'll go to his grave trying to protect it. And for Jake Tapper to single him out as a double amputee, as somebody who has sacrificed so much for his country, it it's just disgusting. It's just disgusting. Sean Parnell, everybody, check out Outlaw Platoon. If you haven't already, you should get it on uh, wherever you get books. Uh, Sean, good to see you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Buck. Take care. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Because Congressman Brian Mast, Mm -hmm. a Republican from Florida, who lost his legs, by the way, fighting for democracy abroad, Mm -hmm. although I don't know what his... I don't know about his commitment to it here in the United States. He said, did anybody say that? Yes. Yeah, we heard him. Yeah. The answer is yes. There you go. That's 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 Jake Tapper all about the vets and all about all about the troops. Jake Tapper. Sure. Sure. You know, if, if you criticize John McCain, his favorite thing to do is always John McCain's a hero. And and remember, he only was doing that because he hates Trump so much and was using the McCain, uh, the McCain wing of the GOP as a as a way of attacking Trump. And Trump said things about McCain that were not nice. We all know that. But it was always a shield. You can't actually criticize John McCain. The Democrats would say when it was useful for bashing Trump because of his military service. But now here you got a guy that lost his legs in uh, in honorable and brave service for his country overseas. And Jake Tapper says, well, he he fought for his country overseas, but it's not clear that he cares about democracy here at home. Oh, oh, okay. Just just remember that the next time Jake starts tweeting out, I love the troops. I love the troops so much. I'm all about the troops. Uh, I've, I've never seen anybody in media who has has never actually spent any part of his life anywhere near serving the country in the military, in the State Department, you know, anywhere. I've never seen somebody who has such a fixation on promoting others service, it seems, as a means of promoting how great he is. But. That all falls away the moment that you see an opportunity to attack somebody who was a Trump supporter in Congress. Right. That's uh, that's what that's what you have here. So it's gross, folks, but you're going to see a lot more of this. Remember, the left, the left didn't have any principles before. They're not going to have any now. I have principles on, say, condemning political violence. And that's why I know that some people don't like uh, hearing the truth about that. But it is true. Democrats don't have that problem. They're just hypocrites. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on within the Republican Party right now? We had a number of folks in the GOP uh, in Congress who voted to impeach Trump. There's a lot of talk about the intramural fighting that's going on. Well, one group that has been trying to capitalize on that in a whole bunch of ways is the Lincoln Project. Our uh, guest right now, Ryan Gerdusky, joins us. He's got a piece 
in the American conservative called the Lincoln Project's Predator. And and uh, Ryan, thanks for joining. First, just tell folks, in case anyone doesn't know is listening to this, what is the Lincoln Project and what has it been doing? The Lincoln Project is an organization of never Trump Republicans uh, led by George Conway, Steve Schmidt, Rick Wilson, more famously, the other ones who go on television a lot. And they've raised well over $75 million um, from very gullible donors to attack Trump. They've paid their own firms millions upon millions of dollars. I believe it is Steve Schmidt was paid over 1.5 or was paid exactly $1.5 million for one month's work um, between uh, November and December. So after the presidential election, he was already paid $1.5 million for one month of work. Uh, they raised millions upon millions of dollars to attack Trump and all Republicans. They spent millions against Susan Collins, millions against Tom Tillis. I mean, it's not just Trump. It's all Republicans. Now, who are they raising before we get to your article, which is uh I think we could describe as as um, salacious uh, in the content where we're talking about here with this guy. Um, who are they raising? Because people say that they're raising some of it from left wing donors. So it's kind of a false flag style project where they're pretending to be one thing, but they're actually getting money from the left. But are, are there conservative donors who are giving the Lincoln Project money or, you know, Republican donors who are giving sure the Lincoln Project money? I'm sure there are traditional money? Republicans who are like the Cindy McCain Republicans who are just repulsed by Trump's behavior. So they give them money. It's I mean, and who gives to campaigns? Who gives to PACs? I mean, most of them are most people who donate a lot. Not most, but a lot of people who donate are older people who maybe some were Republicans or former Republicans who were turned off by Trump's attitude or behavior. So they gave you know, they're hundred or thousand dollars and they're being swindled out of it. And they deserve as much as anybody does to know the truth of this organization. Now, I mean, seventy five million dollars seems like a, a lot of money for something like this. A lot of money. A lot of money. And uh, tell me what what do we need to know about John Weaver? Right. So one of the organization's founders, his name is John Weaver. He was a former McCain consultant. He ran um, the John Huntsman campaign. He was on the John Kasich campaign. John Weaver followed me on Twitter over the summer, which I have a fairly large Twitter following, but I didn't. But it, I thought I thought it odd since I'm openly supportive of the president. Um, and he runs this anti-president Trump organization. Well, within a day of him following me, young men were messaging me saying, you know, be on the lookout. He uh, he reaches out to younger guys to sit there and offer them career advice and then changes to approaching them uh, to asking them for sex or questioning about sex and wanting to them to call him and uh, and, and approach him in some kind of sexual manner. Um, this was the accusation lobby. So I tried to get a I spent months trying to get a source on record because I needed one. I'm not the Washington Post. so I need one on record source. Um, to come forward to admit that this happened to them um, and to make this accusation public. I can't just use anonymous sources. Uh, well, I couldn't get one. People were afraid. Yeah, these are young guys. These are guys in their early 20s. And John Weaver's man who's 61 years old and has a lot of money and a lot of lawyers. And they were afraid of their careers being destroyed before they started. Um, finally, over the weekend, I was so frustrated with some of the tweets coming out of the, out of the Lincoln Project that they were going to start tracking every employee of the Trump White House. Some of these people are in their 20s and 30s and just trying their life, trying to make them unhirable that I said maybe I should reveal uh, the story of a Lincoln Project founder who was uh, approaching young men for sex and promising them work that never materialized. Maybe his wife would like to know. Um, and then... Um, 
And then within, uh, and I included his, his the, the favorite euphemism that John Weaver uses in most of his messages, which is he calls these young men my boy, which is really gross and creepy, but he does it all the time. Um, anyway, I tweet this out and people started coming forward and claim saying this would happen to me that John Weaver did. So I finally, I had on the record people because people were posting on their own social media and I was able to write the story of, of, um, all these men, there's a writer named by the name of Scott Stedman. He runs a website called forensic news. Never heard of it. He, he's a left winger. He wrote a book about Trump and Russia gate and all the rest of it. But, but John Weaver wrote the, a blur for his book. He's has a professional relationship with John Weaver and he admitted John Weaver did this to him. Um, and he wrote an article and between Stedman's article, uh, and how many, he, how many uh, sources he claims the number of people have come to me both privately and publicly and people who have posted on their own social media, John Weaver's messages, it's well over 60 young men have come forward and said, John Weaver approached them in a sexual manner, um, offering career advice or career opportunities in exchange for sex. So, some, so, so, so to be clear, this is, this would be under the, uh, this would be under the, the general umbrella of. Of of gross and harassing behavior, but you, there's no there's no allegation of actual illegality in any of this, right? The, the men are of age that. and everything else. Uh, there's no manner of age that I know of, but I cannot comment on if there's nothing illegal because I don't know everyone's story. I mean, these are it, 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 this is a four day old story that sixty people have come forward sharing messages, and it's always with the context of I know there are worse. And I know this is this is much worse than what I experienced. And I do know cases that are much worse. But until any young man comes forward with anything and and is willing to go on record, I can't say if anything is Ill- illegal. Um, that being said, the promise of um, of professional help in exchange for sexual favors, um, and then that's a form of grooming. I mean, they, he was, he was approaching these men and one, oh, one it's clearly, the, one clearly highly, is, clearly highly unethical and disgusting, but just, just for all the listeners to make sure we're, we're talking about, uh, we're still on the children. These are men. These are adults. These are adults. These are adults. Right. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. These are not children. These are young men who are in range. The age ranges usually from 19 to 24. Um, that's most of the men. Have you already gotten, have you already gotten some, some backlash about this? I mean, I know you were on Laura Ingram show talking about it. Oh yeah. I mean, people, liberals are like, how dare you? You didn't attack Trump. Well, I wasn't reporting on the Trump story. I couldn't make heads or tails of any of his, any allegations against him and saying you are, you can't be mad at, you can be mad at one, not the other, or because you didn't speak up against one, but you can't, so you can't speak up against the other. That makes no sense whatsoever. I reached out to Lincoln Project. Um, they have not made any single statement. They never, they never responded to all my inquiries. Um, John Weaver has not responded to any inquiries on the subject matter. He blocked me from Twitter right afterwards, as did, as did a few other high-level Lincoln Project um, members. Um, the Lincoln Project has not said anything, but they did take down their web page that showed John Weaver as a founding member. They got rid of it completely. And then they posted a link of the accounts you can trust. And I, ironically, they posted every Lincoln member founder except for John Weaver. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening. He's also got a piece up on the American American conservative we're talking about now. Why should people in general now now forget about the John Weaver story, which is a, a a man, a powerful D.C. insider abuse, uh, abuse of power story. Right. That's that's why you wrote that. Well, why should people know about the Lincoln Project? How much of a problem has it been and, and will it be? 
Well, they haven't been very successful on their campaigns. Most of it is a grift. Most of their money goes to themselves or their companies or their LLCs. Um, they have they spent a lot of money against Susan Collins. They failed against Tom Tillis. They failed. Um, they failed on many aspects of of, of their campaigning. Um, uh, but nonetheless, this is not an unusual situation for people to grift. Grifting is is very 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 real. And I think there's a lot of people who give their their hard-earned dollars to organizations thinking they're furthering um, what their beliefs are. And most of it's going to salaries and lawyers. Um, and very little of it goes to actually making a difference. And Blinken Project's not alone in that in that perspective. Um, but we are having, we're at a point right now where we're having, I can't tell you how many journalists are working on stories about, you know, the Turning Point USA and what goes on at their conferences or Young Americans for Liberty, what goes on at their, with their institution, uh, looking into right-wing institutions for anything indiscreet when you have a major, major player. I mean, the Lincoln Project's founders were on television uh, as of as of today almost a dozen times since the story broke on Monday. Um, and no one has asked them, even asked them, hey, you have a co-founder who's been accused dozens of times of sexual harassment, of, of offering jobs for sex, of approaching young men in a creepy manner, dozens of times in just a few days. Do you have a comment on that? Nicole Wallace didn't ask it. Joe Scarborough didn't ask it. Uh, no one's asked it. Well, and, I think this this uh, raises a bigger uh, issue, Ryan, as well, of what of what we can expect in the Biden administration in general from the press, whether it's a uh, a story that would fall under Me Too or grifting or just general abuse of power. If it's not, uh, if it's not a, well, I, I think, I think the question, I think the question goes to even bigger part of it. They're running on this whole Trump is an unethical man. This is an unethical administration. Okay, fine. Um, you want to make that claim? Make that claim. Who else in the Lincoln Project knew about John Weaver and his actions? So I could tell you, I've had four people make accusations that at least four other Lincoln Project members knew about it openly and tried to suppress it. Not only did they try to, uh, they didn't try to you know, tell John Weaver or oust John Weaver, they tried to kill the story because they didn't want it to come forward. So this is, and they are complicit then in sexual harassment, every single one of them that knew, and, I'm, and I guarantee you knew. And by the way, I will say this other thing about the John Weaver story. When I was getting close to publishing it the first time over the summer, John Weaver had a heart attack, quote unquote. Um, where the Lincoln Project said he has a heart attack and whatever. I hired a private detective to reach out and to look at the nearby hospitals near his home in Texas and in Washington, D.C., and there was no record of a John Weaver ever going to the hospital. Um, uh, but they did know I was getting close to publishing the story. So I don't I, – I think that this is a very nefarious organization – that is doing things and suppressing stories. And if it happened, if it's now 60 accusations of either creepy texting or strange behavior or open harassment um, or, you know, promising jobs for sex, and there's dozens and dozens in just a few days, what else is there? And unfortunately, journalists in America, they're looking for any other story that they could possibly do uh, rather than looking into an organization that raised over $75 million in a single solitary year take on the president and the Republican Party. Ryan Gerdusky, he's digging in, he's getting answers. Go check out his piece on the American conservative, the Lincoln Project's predator. Ryan, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We should be focused on bringing the nation together. Instead, Democrats are going to impeach the president for a second time one week, one week before he leaves office. Why? Why? Politics and the fact that they want to they want to cancel the president. The president who cut taxes, the president who reduced regulations, the president prior to COVID had the greatest economy, lowest unemployment in 50 years, the president who got us out of the Iran deal, put the embassy in Jerusalem, brought hostages home from North Korea, put three great justices on the Supreme Court, gave us a new NAFTA agreement, the Abraham Accords, the COVID vaccine, and who built the wall. It's about politics. This is about getting the president of the United States. They spied on his campaign before he was elected. 19 minutes into his presidency, they started the impeachment push. Three-year Mueller investigation, 19 lawyers, 40 agents, 500 witnesses, 2,500 subpoenas, $40 million to find nothing. Impeachment round one based on an anonymous whistleblower with no firsthand knowledge who was biased against the president and who worked for Joe Biden. And now it's impeachment round two. It is indeed. It has always been about getting this president. It has always been about destroying Donald Trump, his presidency, his uh, his political uh, movement, everything. And that's why it's so hard for many people now to see this as anything other than the last ditch effort to it, it wasn't an, it wasn't enough to win the election. They have to get rid of Trumpism as an idea, as I've been saying to you. And that's why there's such a frenzy right now. On the one hand, they're telling us about unity. And on the other hand. They continue with this uh, this push to divide us and to say that Trump supporters are bad people, um, that Trump supporters are uh, on the wrong side of history because they voted for Donald Trump. That's what they're telling us. And that what they really want to see is a big uh, breakup within the Republican Party. They want a GOP uh, a, a GOP that's at war with itself. Tom Friedman of the New York Times, people still read this guy, apparently. Play 18. I believe that the most important thing that can happen right now for the health of the country is that this rotten Republican Party fracture. Um, and that um, this is a party that is now marinated in and dominated by conspiracy theorists. Um, it's been able to hold together basically, uh, under Trump, because it had power. So because it had the control of the Senate and control of the White House, Republicans could tell themselves this lie. Uh, I wouldn't let Trump babysit my kids or coach my kids' little league team, but I love what he did on taxes or what he did for Israel or what he did for um, uh, any number of, of issues. He doesn't have that power anymore. The Senate, Republicans don't have that power anymore. So I think this party is ripe for fracture. I can't think of anything more important right now, Brian, than that this party fracture between what I call principled Republicans, people like Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and um, the unprincipled ones, because this is now Trump's party. And as long as it is Trump's party, it must be kept out of power. They're telling you what they're hoping for here. And they view this as as essential. They want a a weakened and almost annihilated GOP right now. And they think they can get it. And a suppressed GOP that is just steamrolled by the Biden-Harris agenda. And they can get that, too. They're, this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. They, they, this is achievable for them. This is realistic for them. 
And that's why we have to take take stock of what the political calculations are here in trying to uh, pull Republicans apart, why they want to do that so very badly. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our country is divided. We all know that. There are lies abroad in the land spread by a desperate president who feels his power slipping away. We know that, too. But I know this as well, that we here in this House have a sacred obligation to stand for truth, to stand up for the Constitution, to stand as guardians of the republic. Yeah, that's what Nancy Pelosi is, a guardian of the republic. Sure. Sure. She, and all about the truth as well. Just, a, just ask her if she stood in the way of Americans getting checks to help them out during the pandemic, because, as we know, the government shut down people's businesses and shut down whole sectors of the economy. Uh, how good of an idea was that, by the way? Just taking a little digression here. Was that a smart thing to do to shut down so much? Did that really help us? Uh, you know, you have countries all over Europe now that are going into even more extreme shutdowns. And Italy is having finally a, a mass restaurant civil disobedience moment. I'm seeing this online where thousands of Italian restaurants are going to say enough is enough. We're opening for business. Breakfast, lunch and dinner. This is crazy. We're not doing this anymore. Uh, Switzerland is going into a, 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 a greater degree of restriction, but they've tried to stay mostly open. I mean, all these countries having terrible issues with COVID-19. And, and remember when we were told that they had the answers? That's, that's one reason why I'm, I'm so angry about all of this. Pelosi was one of the people saying this, but they, they made it seem all summer like if we just wore our masks and we did what the authorities told us, We'd all be okay. We wouldn't have this huge second wave. That was a lie. That wasn't true. We all see it. They can tell us a million different ways. Oh, we didn't, you didn't do it the right way or we didn't do it enough or whatever. That's not what we were told. It was listen to us, do what we say now, everything will be okay. That's clearly not what happened. And I'm really angry about it. I'll tell you, uh, I went last night to... Uh, I went last night to try to have a dinner with the uh, with the with my girlfriend, uh, whose whose name is Deborah. I feel like I should not just refer to her as a snow princess all the time, and and we went to to go to a restaurant here in the city, and I I got there before she did, and I walk in and and I'm thinking you know I'm I'm a good guy because well I, I was just hungry I'm not some hero but you know I'm thinking okay I want to support local restaurants and you know keep them going and. I could just order in, but I'm actually going to go and pay a, you know, pay. I'm, I'm giving bigger tips than I ever had to anyone who, who is a server at a place these days that I can eat. And this was an outside, but kind of inside, but really outside restaurant. And I show up and the guy just looks at me, uh, who's the running the place with a manager. And he's got his mask on and I've got my mask on. And, and it's and, and he says, uh, we're, we're not seating anymore. I said, OK, I mean, it's it's. You're, you guys say you're, you close, uh, you, you, or rather you stop seating at 9. He goes, no, we stop seating at 8.30 as of like, you know, now. And I look at my, I look at my, uh, my clock on my phone. It's, it's 8.31. So I'm like, okay. So you guys, your, your website says you stop seating at 9. You say you stop seating at 8.30. I'm clearly here. I've clearly showed up. 
gone through the trouble of dressing warmly enough that I could eat at your restaurant. It's 831. I'm literally a minute. And, you know, and then I just realized, you know what? Also, fine. The guy was being but he's probably had a bad day. His restaurants. But I recognize I, I had a I had to sort of suppress it right away. I had a really uh, a short fuse that was going off inside me. That usually isn't the I'm usually not somebody that gets. I, I didn't get into it with the guy. I said, oh, OK, well, that's a shame. And I just walked away. I didn't I didn't make any problems or anything. But it was a reminder to me of we're all really sick of this nonsense. You know, we've all we're all losing patience with this. And if we're not, we should be. Now, that doesn't mean we take it out on people who are also struggling and try to get through their business. And to be clear, I didn't. But I could feel that that the this stress of this lockdown insanity is it's wearing on me now even, too, because usually a situation like that, I'd be like, oh, you know, OK, fine. You know, it's near. New York, there's plenty of places to go. But my my first thought in my brain was was to get I, I got very I got very annoyed about it. It was a minor thing. We had that having a great dinner at Thai food, went to another found another place that would uh, deliver and it was fine. But I, I can I'm I'm impatient in a way and and I have a, a shorter temper than I than I nor I know myself and I'm not a short tempered person and I was just on the edge of, you know, Really, it's 60 seconds late. Why don't you go, you know, 60 seconds late. You don't want my money. Why don't you go blank yourself? And, and I'm saying that and that would have been wrong. I, I, I wouldn't I'm not claiming that that's the right reaction there, although the guy was being a little, you know, was a, but he's under pressure. I'm under pressure. That's the point I'm trying to, make. He, trying to make. He's feeling the heat of keeping this business going. And they didn't you know, they only had a few people eating there and clearly they wanted more. And and, you know, and I'm trying to do my part for the for my own community by going to these businesses, even though I freeze my butt off when I'm sitting outside eating. But I'm trying to, you know, and we're just, we're all frustrated is the point. We're all feeling it. And I, I had to take a step back and recognize that uh, that it's affecting me even now, too. Here we are in the middle of January and it just feels like, you know, feels like there is no end in sight. I know there's the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that that's coming out today. Or sorry, not that's coming out. The the news story, pardon me, came out today. That the Johnson Johnson vaccine is looking good. And that's a one dose vaccine, which will be really, a uh, really big advantage. And it also, I think, can be stored at like 40 degrees instead of the crazy low temperature that the other the Moderna vaccine and the um, the Pfizer vaccines have to be stored at. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, I was reminded in my own way of, of all we've gone through and, and the tension in this moment in the country. We're thinking about it so much in political terms, and that's certainly a, a big part of it right now. But there's also just this backdrop of we have not had normal human contact, normal human interaction, the, the back and forth that we rely on in our day-to-day. I mean, it's so much easier not to get all wrapped up in in politics in unhealthy ways when you go out and you can see you know family members for a great meal at at some place you want to go you know where you you go out and you you grab drinks with your buddies or or with the ladies or whatever you know after work or just because you feel like it or whatever that really helps you know going to birthday parties going to weddings going to the, this this keeps us all sane it really does keep us all sane. I mean, produce. I haven't. I haven't seen my buddy here, my radio wingman producer Mark. I haven't seen radio wingman Mark in 
it's going to be almost a year now, right? I mean, I, I haven't seen you in person, I think, since, is it February? It might be end of February, maybe very beginning of March, yeah. So, so somebody that I'm, I'm talking to, and Mark and I are working together, you know, every, every day for hours, hours on end, and really just the, the, the two of us pulling together this show, I haven't even been able to see the guy in person in almost a year. This is crazy. I mean, I remember when this first happened to us and the restaurants were getting shut down, I thought I was being maybe a little too cautious. I figured, all right, you know, Mark and I will be having margaritas and guac on, on, at a sidewalk cafe in New York uh, by June or July. Nope. Here we are. Now, they did open some things. I'm not saying that wouldn't have been possible, but I thought we'd be pretty much through the worst of it. When I was thinking about this in February and the, the initial lockdown, I thought, all right, maybe six months of this of this uh, is going to be what we're dealing with. But no, now we're going on a year. And I, I'm just trying to tell you, I, I think that everybody, you all need to give yourself a break. You know, you all need to think about how this is affecting you. Even if you're in parts of the country that have been more open, even if you're in parts of the country that are less affected by this overall, uh, let's all keep in mind that you're, you're, you're still feeling the stress or seeing the stress that, other areas that are in more severe lockdowns are going through. And and you know that America is in a bad spot. And, of course, a lot of the economic stuff, the impacts of that are felt by everybody, are felt by everybody right now. So it's it's a tough time. I mean, it's this is not an easy period. So give yourself a break. Uh, make sure that you're doing things that allow your mind to relax. Make sure you're doing things that let you reset that part of you that might get a little bit too... Uh, overwhelmed or run down or that's really necessary right now because the the usual stuff is is just not happening i mean the usual stuff out there is uh, has been taken away from all of us and if you're like me it's starting to fray it's starting to fray some of your nerves a little bit you're starting to get um starting to get really frustrated in ways that you're not even aware of until it starts to come out a little bit. You say to yourself, wait a second, what 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 the heck is that? You know, I'm I'm usually very even tempered and I, I feel like I, I haven't lost my temper recently, but I feel like it's closer to happening than it normally would be for much more minor things. And it's just because I'm sick of wearing my damn mask. I'm sick of not being able to see people. I'm sick of my family members being worried about their health and the lockdowns and all this stuff. And then on top of that, you have Republicans are all terrorists and, you know, Trump is Hitler and, you know, the government could fall at any moment because the, the right wing is is about to have a, another violent insurrection. All this overheated, unfair, really damaging rhetoric out there. And, and it's a it's a challenging time in a lot of ways. And I, I think we're allowed to take a moment, take a pause to say, yeah, that's that's real. You know, I'm, I'm actually planning on going out tonight to outdoor dining in New York. And and I'm going to have to get all dressed up. And you you essentially it's producer Mark. Have you ever been to a a, a giant old school Giants? Fo I don't know if the stadium is better now, but I remember going to Giants Stadium when I was a kid in, in in like winter, like December. Right. I remember going to Giants Stadium going like, and I I was so cold and we were wearing I wore so much clothing that it was difficult to move. But you sat in these unheated seats out in the open air and you sit there for three hours. We had a blanket on us and I still remember freezing my butt off. 
Do you, have you ever done that? I have not, but I have done it at uh, City Field or Shea Stadium. Any April or September game, because it's right on the bay, just like the Meadowlands, it's right on the water. You get the winds and it's freezing. I'll, I say to myself over and over again, never, ever going to another April Mets game, and yet I still end up there every year. I mean, I've done it, I've done it a few times. I remember going, I think it was a West Point uh, Army-Navy football game when I was a kid. And I'm pretty sure I went to that unless I'm unless I'm getting I'm talking about being eight or nine years old. But I just remember being freezing at these games. And, and yeah, the wind coming in on the Meadowlands is like, is like nothing else. Don't they have aren't they kind of bougie now? Aren't there some some stadiums that kind of have either heated seats or at least they're padded seats? Because I was sitting on, you know, like the plastic bleacher fold down seats that we all know. Uh, no, the new stadium they built is just a, a monstrosity. It's awful. And they didn't put a roof on, which is probably the dumbest thing. Is that just a cost thing? I mean, why would it's they a, not put a roof It's a cost on? thing. Yeah, because uh, like the Mets and Yankees both wanted retractable roofs. New York City, New York State would not pay for it. Uh, MetLife, I think, a similar kind of thing in New Jersey where they wouldn't pay the extra money to get the retractable roof. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's nuts. Because, yeah, there, I don't know if I've ever been so cold as being a kid sitting in the stands at Giant Stadium watching an NFL game and... And I, I even think I was wearing like uh, like snow pants. <laughs> it was still the coldest, still the coldest I think I've ever been I in my life. I can't believe so. you've been to more NFL games than I have. I, I might my, my I, brothers and my one. dad. My, my I've got two brothers and a dad, and they're like normal. They're normal American. They're normal red blooded Americans who like professional sports and uh, and driving fast cars and things like that. I'm the one that's you know, I don't know. I don't really care. Weird. Yeah, I'm the weird one. But my my two brother my I have a, a my brothers win their fantasy football leagues in many years, and there's real money. There's like ten or fifteen grand on the line for the winner. I mean, there's actual wow. money involved here. Uh, so they they do very well <laughs> with that. Too rich for my blood on fantasy football. Yeah, I mean, that's not obviously the buy-in fee, but that if you win the whole thing, I think I think uh, one of my brothers got something like that one year. So they're really into all that stuff. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna be freezing tonight, but I'll be with my little sister who has a brand new little baby. I don't know, her baby's brand new, but... <laughs> I think like, they're called like, newborns. Sounds like a product. Yes, newborn, thank you. Brand new sounds like a product I'm <laughs> selling. Brand new, fresh off the shelf baby. That's my little nephew. Uh, but but I'm, I'm going to be at it. We're going to a bistro tonight, and we're just going to be huddling. You know, they have these outdoor lamps, and that's great if you're in, like, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, these heat lamps they have outside, and it's you know, 60 degrees at night and you want a little extra toasty warmth near you. Uh, you know, it's like being at a fire pit in Dallas, Texas or something in, in you know, during a, a, a 55 or 60 degree day. When it's 30 or 25 degrees outside, that heat lamp, it just keeps you alive. It doesn't make you comfortable. <laughs> it just keeps you from actually having icicles form over your eyelids. So, uh, but I'm going for it tonight, producer Mark. So, Let's let's hope that I'm let's hope that I don't uh, yeah. actually, you know, get frostbite. That good be good luck with that. I will be home yeah. and warm. Yeah, stay home and warm. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I got diverted from talking about Nancy Pelosi. I, I She's she's projecting herself as some great defender of democracy, arbiter of truth. Standing for the Republic and all this. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is a is a ruthless politician. You know that. If you ask her, what are her principles? This very rich, almost 80 year old woman from San Francisco. 
what are what does she really care about? Uh, she would say things like, "I, I care about a, a women's a women's liberation and a women's right to choose and and you know elevating the people and and the children." And you know, she would say stuff like that, and you would say, "Yeah, I mean that that those are the slogans." But she doesn't really care. No one actually thinks she really cares about any of that, right? No, no one really believes that. And then you get to a step beyond that uh, where what has she said in the past? Right now we're in this great moment of moral panic over what Trump said about, you know, in the moments before that Capitol Hill riot. Uh, but do Democrats always make sure that they're opposed to political violence? Is that something they do? Here's Pelosi talking about uprisings across the country. This was in 2018, so it's not recent, a couple of years ago. Play clip one. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. Why would there be uprisings, Nancy Pelosi? Oh, because Donald Trump is president. You're not getting what you want. I mean, uprising is a, is a very specific thing to say she didn't say i don't know why there aren't more people you know organizing get out the vote drives or something she said uprisings but it's the same thing you see with with uh blm and and the way that that the violence and the destruction from that is always excused here's a member of congress uh, spanberger who's saying that the, the right has had this violent extremist ideology take hold i i, I doubt she's ever said something similar about BLM. Play seven. The large concern that I have is not about a particular date. It's not just about January 20th. It's not just about this upcoming weekend where it's expected that there's going to be uh, events, uh, be, be they violent altercations uh, or, or anything else at capitals across the country. The real issue that I think we need to focus on as an American people is that there is a uh, violent an extreme ideology that has taken hold, uh, that has been given safe harbor, if you will, um, in the political space. And we saw the results of what happens when that is able to fester and come to the forefront. We saw those results on January 6th. We're certainly preparing for those potential results over this weekend and at the inauguration, but it, it doesn't end there because it's an ideology. And my, my background, as you mentioned, I'm a former CIA case officer. My background is a, a focus on, on terrorism and the domestic violent extremists who took siege and, and, and okay, executed let me just a, stop. I, I'm, a, I'm a former CIA analyst and, and her analysis of this is partisan trash. So there you go. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Go to BuckSexton.com for updates on stories. You can also always listen to the podcast there. Please, please tell somebody. Tell somebody out there about the Buck Sexton show. Pass the buck. Biggest favor you can do for me. Best thing you can do for the Freedom Hut. Tell somebody about what's what's going on. And uh, we're also on Instagram. I was going to say we're on Parlor, but Parlor's still down. So that's, you know, that's sad. Uh, I think it's coming back, though. It's coming back. 
And uh, yeah, we're we're working we're working on all kinds of exciting projects going forward. Uh, let's now jump into all this. Although I did want to check in on our on our buddy producer Mark and see if he has any exciting plans for the rest of the week or the weekend. Uh, yeah, the Rangers play the Islanders tonight, so that's the first game of the season for the Rangers. I'm very excited. So how how does one spot what what is now? I'm asking you to stereotype. Okay, I'm all asking right. you to give me. But what is the difference between your prototypical, your standard Rangers fan and your standard Islanders fan? <laughs> I had I'm, a feeling this would be. I'm like not that. going there. Nope. No, no, You're not no, doing no, it? Not You're not doing, doing it? it? Oh, come on. It. It's a great setup, but I'm not doing it. Oh, man. The I, Ranger what? fans tend to be from the city, Islander fans tend to be from Long Island. Oh, look at that. Oh, okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Gee, really going out on a ledge there. Well, well, I'm not going to anger any listeners. If you're an That's Islander good fan, thing. good for you. But uh, yeah. I'm a Ranger fan, and I think the Rangers are a better franchise than their little brother. Is that better? There, there you go. Look at that. That's very, very, uh, very. Uh, you have very a little brother, correct. right? Yeah, I have you a little brother. You know how brother. you would give him a noogie? That's kind of like yeah. the Rangers franchise against the Islanders franchise. I get you. Yeah. What about the New Jersey Devils? They don't exist. Come on. Are they a real thing? Or no, still no, they, or no, they're a real thing, but oh. nobody cares. They're not good? Uh, they've been bad the last couple of years. They were very good early 2000s. They beat the Rangers once to get to the finals instead of them in 2012. I try to forget about that. But uh, in terms of the New York sports landscape, if I'm being honest, there's one team and there's one hockey team in New York. Ah, like, and, but I, there is that great Seinfeld episode where he's a big Devils the, fan. Uh, right? That's uh, David Putty. Yes, the New Jersey El, Devil. El Diablo. I remember and, that. And he scares the priest. <laughs> <laughs> in the cap. That is actually a very funny. That is a that, one, that's yeah. a very memorable Seinfeld episode. Uh, all right. Let's get to uh, what, what folks thoughts are here on roll call. And thank you again, all of you for writing in. We appreciate it. Brad. Hey, Bucket producer Mark. Last week was a disaster for the conservative movement. I agree with you that President Trump handled the post-election poorly. I agree what happened at the Capitol was 100 percent wrong. But what we conservatives must not lose sight of is our man in the swamp, the one who is there to drain it, but is getting swallowed by the vastness of it. Fifty years from now, we'll look back on our greatest president we ever had. Right now, everyone is turning their backs on him. I really hope we can all use this time to be peace to peacefully refocus and find that lockstep that the left has been so sec, uh, so successful with. Shields high. Uh, Brad, really, really thoughtful uh, note to us. Thank you so much. And yeah, I look at the totality of the Trump presidency. Uh, I I still think that Trump was overall a very successful president that pursued policies that I agree with. I think the pandemic was awful for the whole world and really made, uh, you know, created enormous challenges for successful governance and the economy and everything else in in Trump's final year of his first term. And I and I think that the the approach that he took after the election uh, with the way he was talking about things, it went too it went too far. Now it didn't go too far as in he caused the insurrection, but saying that he won in a landslide and repeating that constantly and telling everybody the election was stolen, that that was. And I actually would have been. I wouldn't have even said much about that for a week or two after the election, or maybe a little beyond that, with the idea that he was going to have the presentation of evidence to to prove that in a in a beyond a reasonable doubt fashion. We never got it. We never got it. That doesn't that's not the same thing as saying it doesn't exist, but we never got it. And we have to base our 
analysis and we have to base the way we treat the system on the facts that we have in evidence. So I heard from people, the DOJ, I was asking them about this off the record, talking to people about this, the DOJ, when it was when the Trump legal team was out there and and then there were the some of the freelancer types with the release, the Kraken stuff. DOJ was looking at the different voter fraud allegations and there were people that thought they saw something in good faith that was wrong or whatever. And they followed up on a lot of it. And it was people were making they they were uh, mistaken. And this is these are Trump. These are Trump supporting people within the DOJ that I'm talking to. I mean, these are conservatives that I know within the DOJ. And they say, look, we looked at this and it's not there. You know, that doesn't again, that's what they found. That's what they looked at. I don't know what people love to tell me, but Buck, you're saying there wasn't fraud. I'm not. I've never said there wasn't. Of course there was fraud. But there is a difference between knowing that statistically it is a certainty that there was some degree of fraud in a national election and and insisting and believing action must be taken at the highest level of government that there was so much fraud that the election had a different outcome without being able to prove it. Those are not the same thing. And that's where we are now. Um, so, no, I'm not turning my back on Trump. I don't think he should be impeached. Uh, I think that he lost, and we're having an honest conversation now about what that means and what happens next and what his future will be in the movement. Um, and we did every look, we did everything we could on this show to help Trump win four more years, as did a lot of other shows, I know. Wasn't enough. We tried. We tried. Mitch, hey, Buck and producer Mark. I am a little down, but I have not and will not give up the fight uh, to keep and save our republic from the communists. I want to get your opinion about the next two years. I know we're in a similar position during the first, years of the Obama, first two years of the Obama administration with the commies holding the House, Senate, and the presidency. Uh, the left pretty much squandered that time. I'm afraid they will not do the same this time around. They'll ram through all the laws and policies they want to, including the annihilation of the Second Amendment, and will lose the First Amendment as well. These are crazy times. Please give me your trusted and valued opinion. Well, Mitch, I share a lot of your concern, so we got to start with that. I, I can't tell you that I don't also have a high degree of concern about what's going on right now and think that things are going to get look, things are going to get worse politically before they get better. That's that's certain. Uh, and it's going to happen quickly here. That all said, I also think you n- need to remember that the Obama administration didn't really squander the first two years from their perspective. They rammed through Obamacare. Which was a massive, a massive uh, overhaul of health care. And, and there was a lot there was a lot involved in that. So I just think everyone needs to be, um, you know, yeah, I think everyone needs to be very clear about this. You know, there was a real there's a real effort to pass Obamacare. It happened. They did it. They unif- the Democrats executed on it. And they're going to do a whole lot more now. They're going to get a whole lot more done um, in the next two years. So let's get ready for it. Uh, that's my opinion, man. I, I wish I could say that I had some magic wand to wave to have a better political situation for us, but I don't. David, hey, Buck, when I was a kid, the WWE was known as the WWF. Well, I remember that too, David. Same thing for me. Uh I remember uh, ravishing Rick Rude and 
Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, and Andre the Giant, and Macho Man, Randy Savage, and The Undertaker, and Hulk Hogan, and I remember all that stuff. I remember watching back in the day, David says, when there was a distinct line between the good guys and the bad guys. It seemed every time the good guy was on the verge of finally defeating the bad guy during a championship match, bad guy manager Captain Lou Albano would enter the ring and toss salt in the referee's eyes just before bashing a ladder over the head of the ref. The ref would be knocked out cold, all the while the bad wrestler was regaining his mojo to the point that along with Captain Lou, they were able to knock the good guy unconscious. As a kid, I'd be throwing uh, throwing things at the TV in an outrage, knowing the good guy was about to get jobbed again and there was nothing I could do about it. And predictably, the ref would regain consciousness and see the bad guy on top of the good guy and would give a quick three count as the bad guy once again won. To me, that's how life in 2020 and 2021 feels. For three years, Trump kept doing one good thing after another for America. But in the end, the bad guys, Democrats and their accomplices in the fake news media ended up victorious again. I eventually stopped watching the WWF. I think I'm about to do the same with politics. Seems like a waste of time for a middle-aged white Catholic American male like me to have a president that loves America. I'm sorry. It seems like a waste of time for a middle-aged white Catholic American male like me to be allowed to have a president that loves America as much as I do. It feels like the fix is in. Well, David, look, I totally understand your frustrations. I share your frustrations. And uh, I think there was a lot of good stuff that Trump did. I think that one of my big points, and, and I know that that some folks aren't going to want to, I've said this, and they, every time I say it, there may be cringe a little bit, but there was no space for making Trump's presidency better from his team and uh, on, his, on his side, you know? It's what I've been saying about the coach at halftime with the team in the locker room. We, if you were on Team Trump, you were only allowed to talk about how we were going to always win and we're awesome and everything is perfect. That's not, that's not how you get a sustainable long-term movement that achieves really important goals to conservatism. And, and I think we should remember that going forward, right? I, I, remember, I remember someone wrote in saying that I was a waffler on Trump once, that I was waffling on Trump. I said, I never... I never wavered in my support for the agenda, but on on particularly personnel choices, uh, there were there were mistakes made, and and those personnel mistakes had further ramifications in policy focused mistakes. It's not just oh I don't like you know I don't like I don't know the mooch I don't care I don't, I don't know Amarosa I don't care. Um, the point is that, and those are just two that come to mind. There are a lot of people in that White House that never should have set foot, never should have set foot in a in a serious administration. It wasn't a good thing. Um, but if when I said that, I knew that most of the people listening were were getting mad at me. Don't stand in the way of Trump. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. No, Trump actually needed people that know more about politics than he do to help shape some aspects of the policy agenda. That he didn't need anyone's help to win the campaign in 2016. That's for sure, right? So I, that's what I always said. This guy has a had a political genius for campaigning, clearly, but getting the job and doing the job were not the same thing. And I think that that conservatives in general were not comfortable hearing from people who were trying to push Trump 
in a more productive policy direction to help him achieve victory in the trade war with China, to help him achieve the building of a wall from sea to sea, not 14 miles. That's the number, 14 miles of new wall and a few hundred miles of upgraded wall. Uh, we need a lot more new wall than we got. And th- there were these, these were areas where it should have been stronger, but nobody wanted to hear it. Now, when you're in the media business, remember, you, you, you have to speak the truth, but you also, there's no point in antagonizing uh, your listeners because, one, you love and respect them, right? They're your extended family in a sense, but also they'll just tune it out. They'll tune it out. You know, you can only you have to pick your spots. I, I can tell this audience things that I know they that that when I say they, obviously there's a tremendous we got hundreds of thousands of listeners. I mean, this is a there's a diver, very diverse, truly diverse group of people listening to this show. Uh, but I know when I'm saying things that are going to push some of the wrong some people's buttons the wrong way. But I do it for a purpose. I do it because I want to be honest and I think that I have to get it off my chest and I have to tell people what I really think. And that mechanism was too small within the Trump presidency. Wasn't enough space for that from his team, people trying to help. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call here with Wesley. Buck, it's so disheartening to know that you're facing backlash, angry backlash from your own team for the sin of being principled enough to condemn the D.C. riots. It's the same niche of diehard Trump supporters who came for Tucker Carlson and Megyn Kelly for the high crime of expecting actual proof of rampant voter fraud from Trump's lawyers. I support Trump, but I support this country and the conservative movement more. People need to remind themselves of what's at stake and maybe reevaluate what hills they want to die on. Like you, I believe in law and order, peaceful protests, and conservative populism. We must condemn all forms of lawlessness. You made the right call. Shields high. Oh, Wesley, I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, you know, it, I, I haven't been reading. We haven't really been going for the, you know, angry, why are you betraying Trump stuff as much on roll call. There's, there is some of that for sure. Uh, just because, I, you know, it's not productive, it's not helpful. And the people who are writing that to me for condemning the D.C. protests, I'm telling you they're out there and some of them listen to this show. Uh, but I, I just think they're wrong. I, I, I actually don't think I don't think it's a um, I don't think it's a worthwhile opinion to have to to attack people for standing on what is clear principle here. Right. To, to say that you're a bad person because you condemn the D.C. right. I don't think that that's a that's not an opinion that that I'm, I am I feel the need to have shared on the air here, you know, from other people. Obviously, I, I don't feel that I don't feel that is helpful. Um, Buck, I'm sorry, Kyle, I'm Buck. I'm not into conspiracy theories, but I think the goal of the Democrats, the upcoming impeachment might be to provoke more riots. If throwing more rocks at the hornet's nest causes more outbursts from the right, it would enable the left to crack down even harder than they already are. It's win-win for them. I know that's Machiavellian, but I'm pretty sure Pelosi's maiden name was Machiavelli. It, isn't it frustrating that people like us feel shame for the violence under the Capitol building while the left took righteous pride in the violence that took place over the summer? We are victims of our principles. Kyle, I've said this before. The great advantage the Democrats have is they have no principles to protect, which gives them a lot of options. Endless options. They have no principles to protect. Right. Is, is political violence bad? The left says depends on who does it. But 
we can't be them. All right. Otherwise, what's the point? That's why people are saying, oh, but Buck, it gets in the way. Of course it gets in the way. Being a good and honorable and honest person always comes at a cost. It's a cost we have to be willing to pay ourselves. It's central to who we are. Thank you so much for listening. Please do pass the buck. Tell people about what we're doing here. Send them to BuckSexon.com or wherever podcasts currently live online. Shields high.